Where's Wilson? Wilson, where are you? Wilson! One of the more poignant movie, uh, moments of that movie, uh, a movie called Castaway, it came out quite some time ago where Tom Hanks has found himself as a castaway. He was on a, a flight. He was working for FedEx. He was on a flight. Uh, his plane crashes, and he finds himself on an island that's deserted. He has no hope. He has no life. Uh, and there he's trying to figure out, how do, I, how do I learn to live life in a place that I don't want to be? How do I learn to live life? What, what is it that I hold on to in life that's going to help me survive when it feels as if everything that I have has been stripped away from me? What is it that you hold on to? What is it that you grab on to? Grab on to? And so finally he gets himself to a place where he's going to try to, he's going to try to make it. Like his time there, it's come to an end. He can't do it any longer. And so he needs, he needs to try to, to see if he can craft a, a vessel together. He can try to get to a place where he would be rescued. And there you see on the raft, he's with the, the one thing that's helped to keep him alive. <laughs> of all things, it's a, it, it's a volleyball. And the volleyball's name is Wilson. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you heard it in the video, but isn't that amazing that even if you wouldn't have seen that video, if you've seen that movie, you would have known that probably the, the award for best supporting actor or actress in that movie would have, would have been a volleyball? And don't think that the, the, the writers and the directors of that movie, they aren't making an incredible point that you and I, we cannot survive if we don't have somebody to do life with. And so as Tom Hanks is going and trying to, to get 
to find a way that he can get home, he loses the one that, that he loves. And so he's fashioned a rope on, on the side of this raft that is his physical life. But his emotional and his relational life is, is leaving him. And he's found himself at the end of his rope. And, and chances are you know what that feels like. Chances are you've found yourself, maybe it is right now, maybe it's at a different season of your life. Maybe it's the reality that you can't remember a time in your life when you haven't felt as if you're at the end of your rope. Trying to hold on and you feel as if you're your grip, your grip is loosening. That's why this scripture passage that you, read just, that you heard read just a, a few moments ago is so extraordinarily important. Whether you heard that at the campus that you're attending at one of our local sites, all over central Iowa, multiple states across the world, or at home. It's one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture. Like even if you don't really have any awareness of, of, of Scripture at all, that you haven't spent some time uh, going through the Bible, you say, yeah, that's something that's pretty foreign to me. Chances are you have some sort of a familiarity with this Scripture passage. It comes in the Old Testament. It's God's Word. It's, it's one of the, 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 the words that he speaks through his prophet Jeremiah. Where God says to his people, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster. Did you know that? Because I think sometimes when we go through those times when we feel like we're, we're at the end of our rope, we start to wonder, like, if God was good and if God was for us and if God really wanted the best for us and if God was somebody who was powerful and, and could do things, then, then why is it that it's not going that way in my life right now? And in those moments, I mean, maybe it's just me, but maybe you can relate to me. Maybe it's in those moments where we start to wonder, is God that good? Is that God that worthy of our praise? Is that God somebody who, who we'd want to trust? You see, when, when, when God says these words to the prophet Jeremiah, he, he's not saying them in a vacuum. Like none of the passages we have in scripture are, are somehow void or, or detached from reality, from, from human, from, from real human experience. And so when we think about this passage, what makes this passage so incredibly poignant and powerful, something that we'd be able to recall with, without even really having to think about it, we need to know the context to which it was spoken said to real people in real times and through God's spirit is speaking to us. Prophet Jeremiah is speaking these words to people who are away from their home, not by their own choice. But the people uh, had, had been exiled. And then they, they were in a place where their identities had been stripped. Their names had been changed. Their customs weren't acceptable any longer. 
And in that moment, you, it, it would be pretty sure to say that every single person that, that would be hearing these words that God had from would want to be anywhere but there. And God had called the prophet Jeremiah and he said that Jeremiah needed to go, go and speak to the people. Because there were others that had come and told the people who were in exile that, that it, was, it wasn't going to be very long that they were going to find themselves in exile. In fact, that rescue was going to come to them at any moment. Don't worry about what's going on in your life, they were saying to the people. Which does that help when people say that to us? I mean, the last time you found yourself in a difficult situation, somebody says, oh, don't worry about it. You're like, for real? Like, the only thing I can do right now is worry about it. God says to, to Jeremiah, you, you need to go and tell the people that they're, they're going to be in exile for 70 years. Can you imagine? Maybe, maybe you can. I think... I think the people that heard what God had to say, they started to question everything about God. And I think it's natural when we do the same thing. And too often we, we think that if we were to admit the, the, the questions that we have, and if we were to be in a place where we'd question whether or not God was for us, that, that somehow that would be an indictment on who we are, an indictment on our faith. And if, and if we're going to be somebody who has faith, or somebody who's going to try to follow God and pursue after Jesus, then we, we can't have any of those questions. And we can never question the, the goodness of God. Have you read the book of Psalms? There's an entire segment of the book of Psalms Where, where the psalmist is starting to wonder of whether or not they were holding on to the right thing. Because the Israelites in Babylon, the psalmist in those lament psalms, and for so many of us, we desperately wish for things to be different. And we start to wonder, will they ever be different? I was reminded of this just over the course of the past week. So many of you, if you spend more than two minutes with me, know that I'm an incredible sports fan. I love sports. And for some horrible reason, I'm a Minnesota sports fan. And that's just like the kiss of death. It really, it is. And so I pass that gene on to my kids because my parents passed that gene on to me. And so two weeks ago, it's new uh, football season. I'm a Vikings fan. You can boo if you want. I'm a Vikings fan. And so they opened the season against the Green Bay Packers. And everyone thought, like, this is going to be a difficult game. And the Vikings steamrolled them. It was so amazing. We got a new coach, new general manager. Felt like maybe the, maybe the page had turned. And so my son, after that first game, he came up to me that night. He said, Dad, do you think that this could possibly be our year? And I lied to him. Like I lied to him. I said, yeah, yeah, maybe it's going to be different this year. It's not. Last weekend proved that it was. For those of you who don't watch Vikings or pay attention to the Vikings, consider yourself to be blessed. 
But they got stomped by the Eagles. It wasn't even a game. I could have gone out and played better football than that last weekend. And so my son looks at me and he's like, Dad, I thought you said that this could be their year. I said to him, hey, there's a reality in life that we say all the time, and I think you might know the same thing, that the more things change, the more they stay the No, I'm not talking about a football team, am I? And it's in those end of our rope moments that we start to wonder, could things ever be different? And so easily... So commonly, (laughs) like I did with my son, I kind of dug my head in the sand because I didn't want to be honest about it. Like there was a reality that I kind of told him that that could possibly be their year because I didn't want to subject him to the reality of what he was going to face as a sports fan. But there was also, I didn't want to admit it either. which is what so many people were tempted to tell God's people in exile. God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, no, it's, 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 it's time to be honest. But things need to change. And you, might have, you may find yourself in a moment right now where you don't think it's ever going to change. And that's why what God has to say is so incredibly important. I wonder if I were to ask you uh, today, without fear of anybody knowing what it is that you would list, without having to, 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 to share it with anybody else, if you were just individually, inside your own heart, inside your own mind, if I were to ask you the question, what area of your life do you need to experience change? What needs to change in your life? You, wouldn't have, you could, in the depth of your soul, you could say, you know what, this thing, I've never really admitted to anyone. I've never wanted to admit it to someone. I want to stick my head in the sand, but I know that this just needs to change. It needs to go from death to life. It needs to go from gray to abundant color. It needs to go from barren to flourishing. What would it be? And do you believe it could be different? Because sometimes when we buy into that saying that the more things change, the more they just say the same, we don't think it could. Individually, communally, where we start to wonder, well, this is just the way that it's going to be. And because this is just the way that it is, we have to somehow just put up with it and endure it and, and just realize that it's never going to go back to the way that it was before. That's what we've been talking about in this series that we've been going through for the month of September. We've been looking at the, the, the reality, to be, to be honest about the reality of, of spirituality in, in the United States. And, and we've looked at a, a lot of concerning trends. Not overwhelming. But we want to be a church that's completely honest about it. That a church that, that doesn't have our heads stuck in the sand. That, that we're able to look at it and say, hey, there, there, there are things that we need to be aware of. That we need to take note of. 
but we also have, my goodness, we have, so, we have so many reasons for hope. Just this last Wednesday, I had, for, for me, uh, like a top five moment uh, in my time here at Hope, and there's been a lot of them. My son is a sixth grader. He's a Power Life student now. Power Life is our junior high ministry. It's confirmation. And so uh, we tell you all the time whenever we do student ministry or children's ministry that if you're not volunteering, you should volunteer. And then my wife Bridget said to me, so are you going to volunteer? And I said, no. Uh, <laughs> because hanging out with middle school students isn't my view of heaven. It's my view of hell. And so, and she said, but, but if you're going to say that, then you, you, have, you, you have to volunteer. And so I said, yes. And, and I tricked one of my friends. His name is Preston. I tricked him into to doing it as well. And Preston and I told both of our kids, we said, hey, 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 invite everybody. Like, invite everybody. Bring them to Power Life. Like, if you have a friend, bring them to Power Life. Just have them put your names on their registry. We didn't think they'd actually do it. <laughs> do you want to know how many kids showed up to our Power Life group this last Wednesday? 26. <laughs> Hell, yeah, praise God for that. And praise God that if you just clapped right now, you just volunteered to be another leader in our group. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. We don't believe it's an accident that you're going to show up in 6N on Wednesday night. 6 o'clock. Don't be late. I'll hand you the roster. But it was so cool. It was amazing. Not just our kids group. But this building is full. Like absolutely full. And there are people like, oh, it seems a little bit chaotic. We have a thousand uh, teenagers in, in this building. It's going to be a little chaotic. But where would you rather they be? They're not just the church of tomorrow. They're, they're the church of today. And here's how I was reminded of that. Did our large group stuff. We went in a small group. We talked to them about the, what the year is going to look like. We conned them and said if they could be good in large group, they could keep their group together and we'd give them a pizza party once a month. Because we believe in bait and switch mentalities. <laughs> and if you're in group 6N and you're taking sermon notes right now, you can write that one down for extra credit. We got to the end of our group and I asked, first night, I asked us, does anyone want to pray for us? And because uh, Trey's in the group and he's the pastor's kid, they're all like, Trey? He's like, I'm not praying. <laughs> Which was a real proud dad moment for me. <laughs> and then there's a kid on the other side of the room. He says, I'll pray. And I was like, cool, have at it. You want to know what he said to me? He said, I don't know how. Look. There is something deep inside every single human being, whether we know it or not. And the desire for all of us, the desire for all of us is referenced by this 12 year, 11 or 12 year old kid who when he doesn't even know how, 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 how he should pray, he says, you know what, I want to do that because there's something inside of him that's nudging him that longs to connect to the God who created him. He said, I don't know how. I said, okay, here's, here's how you do it. And I'm just going Philippians chapter 4 on this one. Because Philippians chapter 4 says, this is how you do it. Thank God for what he's done and tell him exactly what you need. 
So I said, tell, say, dear God, thank God for something that's going on in your life and tell God some, something that you need or something that somebody, that our group might need and then say amen. That's all you need to do. And at that moment, our group, 26 kids, two adults, only one of us acts like an adult, but two adults <laughs> was quiet for the very first time. Because people will listen to the ones who they have relationship with. Man, I just think like, how many people do we have relationships with? And so he says, dear God, thank you for giving me a, a house to stay in. And I pray for peace in our group. Amen. And I was like, man, that's, that's it. Like when we, we, we think about the future of the church and we think about the future of people's relationship with God, I think sometimes we spend a whole lot of time wringing our hands, like wondering, like, oh man, I wonder I wonder if I wonder if this is all gonna work out okay. And I wonder if it's gonna I wonder at some point is is God gonna gonna lose his control or, or lose his importance with people, or or we somehow think like maybe God's up in in, in heaven and, and he's saying, Ooh, I just don't know if if my sovereignty is going to be as sovereign in the coming years as it is as it is right now, or, or I wonder if the, the importance of, of sending my son Jesus into the world to, to die on a cross and to overcome death and to be raised to, to an eternal life, I wonder if that's still going to be relevant in this next generation. I don't think God's doing that. Now, I think God desperately wants for all of us to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ and come into a believing faith in that, but I don't think God is wondering whether or not this thing is going to hold. And when we look at the course of time, from the, the fall of creation, there has been this cycle that's happened throughout every pocket of the world. Read through the, the, the book of Judges in the Old Testament, you'll see how this cycle repeats itself. That people find themselves in a place where they're incredibly comfortable. And maybe that's part of our culture right now. Like our comforts we find in so many other things. And so in their comfort, people start to go their own way. And there's a, a, a result of that. Like when you do your thing rather than what you're, you're supposed to do. I, I didn't know that there were cameras on 235. <laughs> So, so there, 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 was, there was a penalty I played. Now, thank God I was driving my wife's car. <laughs> so I'm like, ooh, you got a letter from, you know, whatever it was. And she's like, oh, my goodness, it's a speeding ticket. I'm like, what would you do? And then she's like, wasn't that the week that you were driving my car? I'm like, no. So, I mean, sometimes the things that we do are, 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 are consequences of the things we experience are consequences of the things we do. But other times it's just the reality that sometimes we live our lives in exile. And we start to think that in those times that there's no opportunity for life. That life could only be, uh, could only go on and we could only live it when everything gets back to normal. And that's just not the case. This side of heaven, 
communally, individually. We're, we're just going to face times where, where it feels as if we're being stripped of the things that have always made us to feel at home. But we still have a life to live. That's what, that's what God is saying through, through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29, 11. God's not saying to Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to, for good and for not for disaster, to give you a future and hope. He's not saying that somehow when, when this whole thing comes to an end, then you'll get back to being able to live life. No, he says in the middle of exile, wherever it is that you find yourself right now, whether the circumstances are good or whether the circumstances are exactly the opposite that you'd want them to be, God says, you can still live because I give you a future. And the future that I give you is filled it's filled with hope. It's a powerful word. But it's a word, hope, that sometimes I, I, I think that we, we, we've misunderstood it. So well, what's hope? How would you define hope? And a lot of us would define hope as the things that we wish for. I, I, I hope that this is going to happen. Really, I'm, I'm saying that I, I wish this would happen. And so when we hear that God says, I'm going to give you a future that's filled with hope, we, we start to look at the circumstances of our lives, and when we see a relationship that's broken, we say, hope? We, we look at the, the reality that, that maybe... We've lost our, our, our employment, and we, we don't like what it looks like, and we don't know where we're going to find our next opportunity, and we say, hope? Or maybe we, we realize that there's been longer than we've known a life filled with anxiety and depression and or fear, and, and we start to say, hope? Or maybe we have a loved one whose health is in decline, and we realize that that's, that, that that's changing and we start to, we start to say hope? Or we've lost somebody that we love and we say hope? Hope is, is not a wish. It's way deeper than that. Biblically speaking, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a future that's filled with hope. You want to know what that word hope is? In the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the word is, is, is tikva. And a lot of you are like, oh, great, that doesn't mean anything to me. Here's what's fascinating. This will change it for so many of us. You want to know what tikva means? It means hope. Yes, most certainly it does. But the primary definition of this word for hope, tikva, it means a cord or a rope. Something to hold on to. A cord as if to be attached to, the definition says. Think about it this way. A, a woman carries a child in, in her womb. 
How is that child nourished and, and, and able to live life inside the womb because it's connected to a cord? Something to attach that allows you to receive life. It's in Joshua chapter 2 that God had sent the Israelites into the land that he had promised that they were going to, to, to be able to, to have for their own. And, and while they're there, a couple of the Israelite spies, they have to be hidden out. And they're hidden out by a woman by the name of Rahab. And so they go back and they go to their people and they say, hey, we, we can go in. We can take this land. It can be ours. It will go just the way that God has promised. And now Rahab is, she's deservedly, she's freaked out because if they come in and siege the city, then what's going to happen to her? And so they say to Rahab, when we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet, that word? It's tikva. The, the the cord of hope. The, 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 thing that, the thing that you can hold on to that, well, it, it holds on to you. What is it that you, you're holding on to to try to find that kind of life? And what is it attached to? I remember when I was uh, young, I was going fishing with my dad in our fishing boat. And I was going to prove to him just how, like, how, how big and older I had gotten. I was probably like a second grader. So we're going out fishing, choppy waters. And so I'm in the front of our fishing boat. And we get to the place where we're going to fish. The, water, the wind is going. And my dad said, hey, why don't you throw the anchor in the water? And I thought, oh, yeah. He's like, do you want me to help you? I'm like, no, dad, I got it, I got it. Because I was big and I was old and I was responsible. So I pick up the anchor Toss it over the edge. He says, hey, did you attach the anchor? I said, oh, no. <laughs> and for those of you who are keeping track, all of the things that I've done to my parents, they are keeping track of it as well. <laughs> and they just tell me, we'll take it out of the will when we're done. <laughs> as I saw the cord sink to the bottom because it wasn't attached to anything. What's yours attached to? Look, when we look at our lives as people who follow Jesus, as we look at our lives as a church who fixes our eyes on Jesus, the reason that we know that the best is yet to come isn't because somehow we're going to will it into existence. The reason we know that the best is yet to come is because we're holding on to this cord, this rope, this hope that, that comes from the one who's overcome the world. God says to the people who were in exile, who know that they're going to be there. Some of those people, they're going to be there for 70 years. They're going to, they're going to be born into exile and they're, they're going to perish physically in exile. But God says to them, even there, even there, I'm with you. Like there's literally no place that you could go in your life, God says to the Israelites. But God says to you right now, there's literally no place that you could ever go where I am not so close to you. That you, you can literally, you can hold on to me. That I am so, and not just you hold on to me, but know that I am never 
letting go of you. I mean, Paul hits on this in Romans chapter 8. He says nothing because of Jesus, because of the promise of God, because of the reality of a God who loves you so much, he couldn't stand to see eternity without you in it. He says nothing, nothing in all of creation, not death, not life, not angels, not demons, not things above, not things below, not even the powers of hell. And some of us, we can relate to how desperate that place feels like. When we say what I'm going through right now, it feels as if I'm going through hell. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that comes to us. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, God says to the people in exile, he says, in those days, in exile, when it's not going your way, when it feels as if you've been dealt a shorthand, he says, when you pray, I will listen. Like there's not a plea that's ever entered into your mind or been spoken with your voice that has gone and fallen on the deaf ears of the God who created the the heavens and the earth. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I'll be found by you even in your captivity. It's the center of the gospel, the gospel message, it's John chapter 3, where Jesus says, He says, Look how much God loves you because He sent his son into the world to die for you. That just by, not by having a a faith and a belief that's perfect, none of us do. And if anybody around you claims that they do, run from them, because they're not telling the truth. But dare to say that this, this hope This hope that comes to us from Jesus Christ, this hope, it can be the anchor, it can be the thing that I can can place my life on. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that anybody who believes, who believes believes in faith the size of a mustard seed will be joined to him eternally. That when God sent his son Jesus Christ to the cross, he did it to give you hope. That you're joined to the ultimate act of love that destroyed death and destroyed sin and destroyed the forces of evil. It's when we're connected to this Well, that in a world that can seem like it rocks every part of us, we'll have an anchor. Hebrews chapter 6 says this hope, there's that word again, it's a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Do you have that? Don't miss it. Like it's not some spiritual exercise that you need to do in order to find out whether or not you you did it right. Look, you don't have to do it right because he did. He did it perfectly. 
He, he did it in such a way that it lasts eternally. It's Paul who says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that there's, that there's faith, trusting in God's promises that gives us hope, that leads us to love. And those three things, they last forever. To know that this hope is with us every single step of the way. Tom Hanks does get off the island. He is rescued. And in one of the final scenes of the movie, he starts to talk about what was it? What was it that allowed him to make it through? What was the hope that he had? Was it the things that he did? Or was it the one whose presence he could feel? Take a look. That's when this feeling came over me like a warm blanket. I knew somehow that I had to stay alive. Somehow. I had to keep breathing even though there was no reason to hope. And all my logic said that I would never see this place again. So that's what I did. I stayed alive. I kept breathing. And then one day that logic was proven all wrong because the tide came in gave me a sail. And now here I am. I'm back. In Memphis, talking to you. I have ice in my glass. And I've lost her all over it. so sad that I don't have Kelly. But I'm so grateful that she was with me on that island. And I know what I have to do now. You gotta keep breathing. Because tomorrow the sun will rise. Who knows what the tide could bring? Jesus says that in this world we're going to face it. John 16:33, face it, trials and troubles of every kind. But he says, but take heart. Know that the best is yet to come. Because I, Jesus says, have overcome the world. That's why he came. He didn't come so that we could tell stories about him. He came so that we could be joined to him. That our hope would be found in him. 
That we would be saved by him. That we'd know that, that his life and putting our trust in him, our hope in him, it's not gonna lead us to disappointment. It's not like he's gonna fall asleep at the wheel in, in your life. He just won't. It's not his nature. It's not his character. It's impossible for him. He is the embodiment of love. The incarnation of love who steps right into the middle of your life, right into the middle of my life and says, I have come for you so that you may have an abundant life, he says in John chapter 10. So that you will have eternal life, he says in John chapter 11. This hope, Paul, Paul's not writing this because he had a simple and an easy and a life that was void of all difficult things. No, Paul had faced it every single way that a person could face it. He had faced it by the punishment of others and he had faced it on the punishment of his own mistakes. But he puts his hope in Jesus. He says this hope will not lead you to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit presence of God in the present tense to fill our hearts with his love when you leave here today no matter if you came by yourself or or you came with a whole group of people there is one that goes with you and that one that goes with you promises to never leave you promises you promises us as a church that fixes our eyes on his love that the best because it's eternity is still to come that he's good for it he gave his life for it so trust your life with it amen let's stand let's sing we're gonna have prayer partners available but as you take this time of worship let it soak in and then as you leave Extend the rope to somebody who needs it because it'll save their life.